I want to start this morning by, by having you take your hand and just put it, put it on your heart. And I just want you to feel your heartbeat for a moment. So, you know, figure out where that is for you. Uh, feel, feel your heart moving blood around your body. Just feel it for a sec. Anybody not feeling your heartbeat? That's a whole other thing we got to take care of then right now. If you're not... So we know our hearts are, are pumping our blood and that blood is bringing oxygen and goodness to all the different parts and pieces of our body. It's picking up carbon dioxide and nastiness and getting that out of our bodies. That It's moving blood. Our hearts are moving blood around us. And that's a, that's a very good thing. We need that, right? Uh, last week, we sang several songs that talked about the blood of Jesus. And, and sometimes when we're in, in church, it's about the only place where we get excited about the blood. You know, like usually when we talk about blood, it's like, that's, uh, I don't want to see blood. But and especially for people who might be newer to church, the amount of times we talk about the blood of Jesus and things can be a little strange or foreign. And what the Bible tells us is that uh, the life is in the blood, that, that our lives are found in our blood, that our blood moving around our bodies. For the, old, uh, for the Bible people in Jesus' time, they understood that meant life. And so sometimes it might be helpful when we're talking about the blood of Jesus, just swap out the word blood for life. And that might help make sense a little bit more to you. You know, that Jesus shed his blood. It means that he shed his life, that, that he, um, you know, he gave, we take in his blood. Well, we take in his life. That's another way to think about it. Um, and, and so we think about our hearts doing that work for us all the time. If your hand's still on your chest, you can take it off now. If you haven't felt the beat yet, though, keep it on there, okay? Just, let's just make sure everything's good. Uh, the heart is much more than just that physical organ inside of our chest, though. When we talk about hearts, uh, we are talking about lots of different things. So we, th- we say things like you can give your heart to someone. When you give someone your heart, that doesn't mean like you, you know, rip this out and like give it to someone. It means that you, you've given them yourself. You've opened your life to them. You, you care about them. You might even love them. And so you've given them your heart. If someone says you've got a heart of gold, or, or they're trying to say that you're a, a person of integrity, that you're trustworthy, that what's going on inside of you is also true to what's going on outside of you. You're, uh, you're a, a whole person. We can talk about how your heart can be broken. Maybe you've had a broken heart. And that, uh, that rejection, that is a real thing. And it, and it doesn't hurt our physical heart, but our emotional being. It, it feels like things are split and there's pain with that. Uh, if your heart's been broken, I might encourage you to take heart. And that doesn't mean go to somebody else and take their heart, right? It means, it means strengthen again, rebuild what's been broken down. Invite God to bring healing and strength again into your life. You can leave your heart behind. If I said, I left my heart in... That's right, San Francisco. We all learned something. First service, uh, I said, you know what? Frank Sinatra sang that song, and I had several people correct me uh, that it was Tony Bennett. Is that right? Tony Bennett. So um, please forgive me, first service, for saying Frank Sinatra. But Tony Bennett left his heart out west. His affection, his connection, his home was San Francisco. That's where his heart was. And one of the first places in history where we see a heart was, is on a coin that archaeologists found in a, an ancient city of Cyrene. It's just south of Greece across the Mediterranean Sea on the north side of Africa. And it's dated back to 500 years before Jesus. And I got a picture of the coin for you. It has a heart stamped into it. And uh, they've discovered this and dated it back that early. And, and, and as they've done research on it, they came to realize it, it's not actually a heart. That It's a seed that's opening up. And for that town, that village, they, the seed that they planted around them was so important to them, they put it on their money. But, but people began to see that heart when they looked at this picture. They began to think about their heart being connected to that. 
When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, I wonder if this coin was being circulated, if some of his listeners would have thought about the heart on this coin. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And when he said that, what did he mean? What did he mean when he said, love God with all of your heart? I'd love to hear some ideas from you. Like, if you're okay saying something out loud right now, that would be great. What did it mean when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart? What was he trying to say? Any ideas? Okay. <laughs> yes, thanks, Chet. But what's behind that? Someone over here was saying something. With all your might? With everything, with all your life? Yeah, thanks. That's right. Like everything within us, all that we are. We, we love God with everything that we have around us, with all of our heart. As we talk about spending your life, as we talk about how you use the time on your clock, how you use the energy in your arms, the abilities that you have, as we talk about the money in your wallet, when you spend your life, uh, we're to do that with our full hearts, with all that we are, investing in what God has called us to be a part of, the, the things he's invited us to make a difference in this world about. Our heart's posture towards God matters. Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, and he said that because you, you cannot serve two masters, is what he said. You can't have, your heart cannot be divided. You're going to have one priority, and either you're going to like one and not like the other. You're going to be connected to one and disconnected from the other. He said, you're going to love one, and you're going to hate the other. Your heart cannot be in two places at once. The intention of your life, everything in your life can only be towards one thing at a time. There's going to be one priority. I'd like to look at that passage where Jesus used that language. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you could open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at where Jesus talks about this whole heart idea. Matthew chapter 6, if you've got your Bible app, you can open it up on there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And Jesus is, is talking to a, a group of people, to some of his friends and a larger crowd, and he's, he's talking about their way of life and a new way to engage in the world today in a way that honors God and, and draws them close to their creator God. And he says, he goes back to what they were doing. He says, now, your faith is not a religious checklist because I want you to move away from checking off the religious activities that, that make you feel like you're okay. And he said, I want you to get your heart involved. I want you to see that it matters what's going on inside of you, not just the external things that you're doing, but what matters is what's going on on the inside. And he says, there's some things here that we've got to get right. And one of those is in the area of money, that there's money can, can get in the way of you bringing your whole heart to God. So verse, uh, verse 19 here of chapter six, here's what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And there's not a question mark there. There's an exclamation point. He's not asking a question. He's saying, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. But, but we do store up things on earth, don't we? we? We've got bank accounts and saving accounts. 
We've got retirement funds and 401ks, 529 plans for our kids. We've got uh, stock portfolios. We pull out the 1040 every year and kind of make sure we're taking account of everything. We have stuff. We have things. And uh, I don't think Jesus is saying you should be afraid of finances or you should run from money. What he's saying is don't allow it to be first place in your life. We're called to use finances in responsible ways to be good stewards of what God has given us. We need to take care of our lives and our families and, 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 and be generous with our lives. And Jesus is saying, but don't let that be primary for you. Don't allow money to be your master, the one who is guiding your life. He says, instead, store up treasures in heaven. Store up things in heaven because where you put your treasure, where you put what's important to you, your heart is going to follow behind. Your heart's going to move towards that place. Our affections will move toward the people and places and things we put our, our money toward. Verse 21, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the order there is important. Jesus didn't say, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. He said, no, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. Another translation says it this way, your heart will be where your riches are. In other words, for Bennett, he left his heart in San Francisco because that's where his money is, right? His, his bank account is a 94110 zip code. That's where his, his money is, and so that's why his heart is there. That's why Jesus talks about our eyes in this passage. He says, what you focus on, what you give your attention to, the things that you lock your eyes onto, those will be the things that will be your treasure. That will be where your master is. So he says, Fasten your eyes on the things of heaven. Lock your eyes on the things of light and, it, and your whole body will be filled with light. You'll be healthy in every way. He says, if you get your eyes stuck on the things around us in this physical world, if you lock your eyes onto the checkbook and the wallet and the bank accounts, he says, you're, you're gonna be filled with darkness. A profound, he says, it's a great darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, then you have the worst kind of darkness, Jesus said. The worst kind of master. And this is connected to how we spend money in our lives because our money reveals our master. Where our money goes reveals what our treasure is and who our master is. Our treasure reveals the position of our hearts and what's going on inside of us. One author would put it this way. Once we allocate our resources, our attention and affections follow those resources so that we begin to care deeply about our investment. Jesus is warning us to be careful where we put our resources because our love and our devotion will not be far behind wherever we put it. Our heart will follow. The fact that that first heart was stamped onto a coin on a measure of money, I don't think that's a coincidence because that's, uh, uh, Jesus says that's the temptation for us. That's the major competitor for mastery in our lives. God is our master, but money is the one that we're tempted by to allow it to be the one calling the shots. How I spend my life reveals what my priorities are, what's most important to me. Where I spend my money, it moves my heart, it shifts my affections and my focus. Jesus encourages us to be generous, to give money away so that it is not our master because generosity is the antidote to money being your master. It breaks money's mastery over you when you give it away. Jesus was once sitting with his followers watching people putting uh, offerings into the treasury at the temple and those little boxes in the back of the temple. And as they were watching, here's what Mark rec records this story in Mark 12. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, he said to them, Jesus said, truly I tell you, he says, this is the truth right here. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. She gave, she gave all that she had. What does that say about her heart? What does that say about where her kingdom is and where her treasure is when she gave away all that? Those who had much gave more than she gave, but she gave with a heart that was different. They didn't give with the same heart that she gave with. When we move, when we give, it moves our heart. It changes our affections. It changes the power dynamics in our lives. If you're hungry for God to do something in your spiritual life, if you feel like a little stalled out or a little bit like God's not using you the way he used to use you, you're a little bored spiritually, Jesus would say, start giving your money to something that is part of God's kingdom, that is for the glory of God and for your neighbor's good. Start to give money away. And God would, Jesus would say, let's see if God doesn't shift things in your heart, start to waken you up spiritually. Hillcrest, as Americans, we can be proud about how we give. Americans give more than any other country on the planet. Since 1977, we have given more every year consistently. In 2020, during a pandemic, Americans gave more than $470 billion away to uh, nonprofits and organizations, religious organizations and churches. And that same year, about six out of every 10 families and individuals gave something away to others, invested in, in what they believed in, what they wanted to see growing. Let's talk about how different generations gave in 2020. So how many of you are millennials? Were you born between 1981 and 1995? Any millennials in the room? Yes, okay, see several. So millennials during that 20 year of 2020, 84% of millennials gave to something they believed in, something they wanted to see change. They invested finances outside of themselves. 84%, that's a, that's a good percentage of that generation. How many of you are Gen Xers like me? born between 1965 and 1980, okay, some of us here. Uh, we gave, uh, our generation in 2020 gave, 59% of us gave, 59%. Compared to millennials, 84%. Right, we're a pretty cynical generation. I think it maybe shows up a little bit in how we're giving our money away. 59%. How about baby, baby boomers? Any of you born between 1946 and 1964? Any of you guys here? Yeah. So baby boomers gave away, uh, I mean, 72% of baby boomers gave during that year of 2020. So better than Gen X, but not quite to the level of the millennials. They gave you know, 10% more than baby boomers gave in that year. And then the beyond generation, any of you born before 1945? Uh, the beyond generation, yeah, they gave, 88% of them gave. So that's the best yet, 88%, almost all in that generation gave money away to others to things they believed in, organizations they wanted to be a part of. So then uh, we've got this other new generation, Gen Z. If you're 10 years old to 25 years, we don't have numbers on you yet, so I'm kind of curious. Are you going to be more like millennials? Are you going to be more like Gen Z? You know, where are you, you going to fall? My guess is I've got three uh, Gen uh, Zers in my life, uh, kids, and, and they're all generous. They all give to things they believe in. I think we're going to see that continue in this next generation. According to one financial firm, about 5% of those who attend church give on a regular basis. That word regular basis is important there. 5% give consistently and regularly to the church they're a part of. 
And over the course of a year, about 63% of those who go to church will give something to the church. Only 5% give regularly. I wonder what would happen, Hillcrest, if, if more of us, if like that was more like 30% for us gave regularly. What would that look like? What, what would God release in our midst if we were that generous with one another? The average church-going person gives about 2.5% of their income away, about 2.5%. That's the average church uh, percentage giving, 2.5%. So some of you, you know, you kind of back, pat yourself on the back. You're like, I'm doing better than that. Others of you are like, I have no idea what percentage I give away. I, maybe I should figure that out, see where I fall on that line. You may not know this, but Hillcrest, as a church, we give away 20% of everything that comes in to this church. We give away to local partners and organizations, to missions and missionaries around the world, 20%. Very generous. It's one of the things that actually drew me to Hillcrest when I was looking for a new place to get, to get involved in, a new place to pastor, and I heard about Hillcrest giving that much. That's really um, not normal for churches to give that much away, 20%. And it drew me to become part of this congregation because this is a generous congregation. We give this way because, uh, as Hillcrest, we give this way because of what Paul wrote in the New Testament. He wrote a letter to his friends in Corinth about 2,000 years ago, and, and here's what he wrote. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, which means because of shame or, or guilt, or because Nate happens to be talking about money on a Sunday morning, you know. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion because just you're in it, you know, you're in for it today. You emotionally, you kind of get hooked. You're like, yeah, I want to. No, decide in your heart. Why is it important that we decide in our heart what we want to give? It's because of what he says next. Paul says, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's much easier to be a cheerful giver, to celebrate generosity when you've decided in your heart what you want to give. And then he continues, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will also result in thanksgiving to God. Paul says, as you give to us, it makes us thankful to God for you. That's what Paul says. So the leaders of Hillcrest, they want to sow generously so that God might bring a, a generous harvest back to us. We, we want to invest generously locally in our neighborhood around us and around the world because we want to see lives transformed and we want to see new life coming into our church. We want to see God doing new things here. Our hope is that, that this place would be filled with the generosity of God, that we would see him bringing that to us. So in this way, Hillcrest is maybe an example for us to follow personally. As, they, as Hillcrest gives away 20%, maybe that's an example for us personally to challenge us. So why, why do we give? Why is it that you give to things that are important to you? I want to give you just a couple reasons why I give. There's lots of reasons to give. I want to give you just four reasons why Angela and I give and things we've talked about. First, we, you know, I give because it feels good to give. It feels good to be generous, to give things away to others, to bring life to others. You know, like Christmas morning, if you're a parent and you've got kids and you, you know there's something they've been wanting and you're able to buy it and wrap it up and put it under the Christmas tree, isn't it a great feeling that it's like it's there? They don't know it's there yet. And then that morning on Christmas, they open it up and the, the, the happiness, the excitement that comes out of them, doesn't that feel good to give a gift like that to someone that you care about? Well, that's one of the reasons we give, one of the reasons I give. It's because it feels good to be generous. I'd much rather have that feeling than that greedy feeling of like holding on to things. Generosity feels good to us. It feels good to me. I like to give because I know it's helping others. It feels good to help others. When I release my money, when I release the stuff in my bank account, it helps me remember that, that money doesn't make my life better, that God makes my life better, that his people make my life better. 
And, and there's just a good feeling about being generous. In the Bible, there's a young pastor named Timothy, and he received a letter from his mentor, and here's what the advice his mentor gave him. He said, a devout life doesn't, does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered this world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on our table and shoes on our feet, he says, that's enough. Isn't that a great word, enough? To be able to say, that's enough. I have enough. I, I, I'm good. I have enough. He, and then he says, lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Jesus said, lust for money, that's that darkness that Jesus was talking about. It brings trouble into our lives. But that feeling that you get, that rich simplicity of being yourself before God, isn't that a great way to talk about when you're generous with, your, with what God has entrusted to you? There's a simplicity of being before him and being in his pleasure. That feels good to me. That's one of the reasons I give. Second, I give because the, the person I surrendered my life to has told has has told me to give my money away. Jesus has instructed me to be generous with my life. He's commanded me to invest in the things that matter to God in this world, to do things that glorify God and bring good to my neighbors. And since I'm following after Jesus as my master, I want to do what he's asked me to do. Scripture, we've looked at several scriptures this morning, all of them calling us to be generous and to give. And there's hundreds of other passages of scripture that call us to give. Our good, good father wants us to live free from the worries and the traps that money can create, that greed can cause us to fall into. Angela and I use a premarital tool with new couples uh, who are looking to get married. And one of the things that that tool looks at is how they view finances. And it identifies different fears that we have around finances. Uh, there's four different fears about this, like uh, if we're actually going to be able to achieve the dreams and hopes we have down the future, we're afraid we might not be able to do that if we don't have enough money. There's this fear that we see other people, um, you know, getting new cars or going on great vacations and we're not able to do that and we're afraid that it might be obvious that we're not making as much money as other people around us. There's this fear that we won't have enough money to pay our bills or cover the costs that we have. And these fears, these, these things can be, they can like shackle us and enslave us to money, especially when we don't acknowledge that our ability to earn money in the first place comes from God, that God gives us the ability to earn and to make money. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. He said, don't worry about what you will eat or where you will live or what you will wear. God knows what you need, and he will provide it for you. And you might say, well, okay, Nate, how's he gonna do that? How's he gonna provide what I need? Well, God can do surprising things. He can show up in surprising ways. He can work through his people. He can keep things from happening so that you've got the money that you need to make it through life. God can provide for us. The third reason I give is that when I give generously, I'm, I'm setting myself up and I'm setting up those that I'm responsible for for the blessing of God. When I give generously, like the passage said, when you sow generously, you receive generosity back. When we are generous with our lives, we are setting ourselves up for the blessing of God. When we live with open hands, God, it's all your stuff. Take what you want from me. Then, then God is able to take, but he's also able to put back into our hands what he wants to put in. If we hold on to things, if we close our fists, God can't put things into a closed fist. You know, we were created to be rivers, not reservoirs. We were created to have 
generosity flowing through us, not to just store up and hoard things for ourselves. It makes me think about the Boundary Waters Canoe Area in, the, in northern Minnesota. I used to take high schoolers up into the wilderness area right near the Canadian border, and we'd go up for long weekends and enjoy the wilderness and the creation. That You can only have so many people are allowed in at a time. They really try to keep it a pristine place, and we'd have a guide. At times, we'd have guides take us through, and they would tell me, hey, Nate, you can drink out of this lake. This water is so clean, you can drink right out of it. He says, you won't read that in the literature, but you can <laughs> You can drink out of it. And then we'd be in another lake. He says, don't drink out of this lake. You don't want to drink out of this one. And it took me a little while to figure out what that was about. And it's, it's because certain lakes, there's a river flowing into the lake and there's a river flowing out and there's just a flow, a movement of water through that lake. And when the, move, when the water's flowing through it, it stays clear and clean and it stays healthy because it's got movement to it. And then there's other lakes where the water flows in, but it doesn't really flow out. It might, it might seep out a little bit. It might go underground, but, but that water is stagnant and it begins to grow bacteria and things like that that's not healthy for you. And so we're created to be like those lakes that have water moving through us. It's the same with money. God brings life and hope and joy and strength into our lives when we live generously, when we are flowing rivers of generosity to those around us instead of a reservoir just holding things back. The fourth reason I give is because I made a commitment to give. When I joined uh, the staff here at church, I became a member of this church, and part of that membership is a commitment to support the ministries and the things that Hillcrest is doing. And so I give because I made a commitment to give. And I want to stand by that commitment. I believe in this church. I believe in what God is doing here and the difference he's making in the neighborhood around us. In a few minutes, we're going to welcome some new members here at Hillcrest. And you're going to hear us kind of ask them to make a commitment to supporting what God is doing in this place. And you're going to make commitments to them as well. But that's what it means to be connected to the life of a church. As we say, I'm, going to, I'm in. I'm going to bring all that I am. I'm going to bring my time, my energy, and my resources to make a difference. I believe in the vision that God has planted in Hillcrest, that we are pursuing new life together in Jesus. I think that's a compelling vision. I think God is doing things in us and through us, that he's making a difference in the neighborhood. Relentless Endeavor, we just heard about in that video, we support them, and they're making a difference in the lives of young people all around us. There are organizations here in Kansas City that benefit from our church being here. And that's exciting to me to think about. I want to see this church continue to grow and have an impact. And for it to grow, it's going to take our resources coming together, bringing our finances together. So Angela and I are committed to giving away 10% of whatever comes into our life. And most of that comes here to Hillcrest because we believe in what God is doing here. So I want to end up here by giving you a challenge. I want to give you two challenges. First, I want you to consider becoming a priority giver. And then I want you to consider becoming a percentage giver. A priority giver and a percentage giver. So priority giver means that you give first. When you get a paycheck, the first thing you do is give some of that money away. You give it to things you believe in, organizations that are making a difference in our neighborhood and our community. You give it to the things that matter to you. First thing you do. And a lot of you are doing this. You get that paycheck, and the first check you write is, is to those things that you believe in, that, that God's called you to give toward. It's a priority for you. I use the automatic withdrawal here at church. So I get a paycheck every other week and that check comes into our checking account and the next thing that comes is money going out back to the church. We have it automatically set up. And some might think, well, that's not the same as writing a check and putting it in the box in the back. But you know, yeah, there you go. <laughs> old school, old school, right? Uh, but what Jesus said is, is decide in your heart, right? And so I decided in my heart, Angela and we decided in our heart what we want to give, and we've set it up so that happens. We don't have to, you know, we might forget if it was up to us, but it happens automatically, and that's really been a good thing for us. And we see it happen every two weeks. You know, we get the little alert that money's gone out. It's gone to Hillcrest, and we celebrate that. 
So being a priority giver means that you give first before you cover other checks or other bills. You don't like see what's left over after you take care of everything else. You say, no, I'm going to decide in my heart this is what I want to give. And it's the first thing that's coming out. And the second thing is a, a percentage giver. To say, here's a percentage that we're, we're going to agree on. Here's a percentage that God's put on my heart that I'm going to give to these things that I believe in. In Scripture, we see this percentage of 10% over and over again, the tithe. See, all the way in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, Abraham gave 10% of his wealth to the local priest. Moses later would say, hey, you need to give the best of your crops, 10% of your crops, your herds. Bring that to God as an offering, as a way of saying that it's all his. And this is what belongs to him. So 10% might be a great percentage to start at. I just think the percentage matters. If we think about when Jesus saw that poor widow put those coins in, what impressed Jesus was not the amount. It was the percentage. Because others had given more, but they gave less of their, really what they had. And she gave 100%, right? She gave everything. And that's what impressed Jesus. I think it's a great idea to think about a percentage that you want to give. You know, it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. This is the percentage we're going to give of what comes in. And as your income increases, that percentage naturally increases what you're giving away as well. And that's a great structure to try to engage with. So just pick a percentage. Maybe it's 5%, 6%. Maybe you're, going to, maybe you're doing 10%. If you're doing 10%, maybe God's going to stretch you and say, hey, let's move beyond the tithe even more, 15%. 20%. What is it that God's going to call you to? Remember, Hillcrest gives 20% away. We are invited to spend our lives well. We're invited to partner with what God's doing in our neighborhood and in our world, to use our time. We talked about that two weeks ago. To use our energy, we talked about last week. To use our, our money, we talked about that today. To make a difference in the kingdom of God. To, to see what God is doing around us and to be partnering with what he's doing in the lives of those around us. I want to encourage you to, to, to begin to think about what is God calling you to do? How would he have you spend your life? As we finish up the year here in December as leaders in the church, we want to finish our year financially strong. And so if you've given anything to Hillcrest over the last year, this last week you got a letter in the mail that said, here's what you've given so far. And there was a letter from Jeff, our church chairman, talking about the good things that are happening here. And towards the end of that letter, he, he acknowledged that we're right now we're 100,000 behind in our giving. We all agreed on a budget back in June, said, here's what we're going to do. Well, we're not hitting that mark, and so we want to finish the year strong in the next month, and I want to encourage you to think about how can you step up in this next month to make sure we finish together as a church doing well. We want to, we want to be about generous living, to celebrate the good things that God is doing, and I hope that you'll continue to invest your life into Hillcrest and into the kingdom of God, because he's doing good things here. He's doing great things. I want to give you just two good news things here as we finish up. One is uh, last spring we had our vision desserts and we talked about part of our vision was to find someone that could lead our, our families and our kids, a, a director of children's ministry, a pastor of children's ministry, and a search team's been working all fall and we've got a candidate that we brought to the, the board and the staff and we all are in agreement. So Kim Gingrich is going to be our new director of children's ministry and she's wow. going to be starting here soon. There's a picture of her and Larry, her husband Larry. Uh, she's got great experience in other churches leading uh, kids and families. She's got great energy and passion to see kids following close after Jesus and, know, and moms and dads knowing how to help their kids. And so her first Sunday is going to be on December 4th, and we're going to have a little meet and greet after each service. I hope that you can join us and welcome Kim onto the staff team here. And that's some great news for us. 
And the other good news thing is that this morning we get to welcome some new members here at Hillcrest, some people that have said they believe in what God's doing here and they want to be part of what God is doing. So I want to invite up our new members. If you're one of our new member families or individuals, would you just come up front here and I want to have you stand just across the front of the stage. And we're going to, we're going to welcome in these, these new members together. One of the things our denomination does is they give us a little book of worship that has some kind of official words to welcome people into membership and into different things in the life of a church. So I'm going to share these words uh, with us this morning. And, and as a church, we're going to have a chance to make a commitment to these new members as well. So thanks for, for coming up again. They did this first service, so they stuck around all morning for us. to We could do this again. I appreciate you guys doing that. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> So these uh, new friends have uh, gone through a trailhead class to kind of give them a, like what we're all about as a church. They've met with uh, leaders of the church and shared their faith story. So they come from our board uh, saying they want to recommend these as new members. And you are really gifts to us as a community of faith. You bring callings and giftings from God, and, and what you bring to us is going to help us achieve the mission that God has for us. So it's really with joy that we invite you this morning to become members and uh, celebrate with you. And Ephesians chapter two talks about this. Paul says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are also joined together as part of this dwelling, where God lives by his spirit, this community of faith. So we're thankful for you. I want to give you a chance just to confirm what you believe before your church family. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior and promise to follow him as Lord? If so, say, I do. You've made public confession of your faith and been baptized. Do you accept the holy scriptures, the Old and New Testament, as the word of God, the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct? If so, say, I do. Do you intend to live among God's faithful people to hear God's word and share in the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth? That's a big ask. If so, say, I do. And do you promise to support the ministries of this church, including the conference and denomination to which we belong? If so, say, I do. And church, you have a commitment to make to them, an affirmation that I'm going to invite you to give. Do you affirm the membership of these new friends and welcome them into our community and care? If so, please say, we do. We do. We're going to pray for you as uh, new members here. So I'm going to invite you to walk down the middle aisle, kind of spread out down that middle aisle, if you will, for me. We want to pray for you. I'm going to invite all of us to stand. If you would do that right now, just everybody stand up and... While we're praying, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to close us in a song. But I'd love for you, as you stand, just to turn towards these new friends, these new members. Just turn and face them, and let's pray for them and uh, thank God for them. So let's talk to God together. Father, we thank you for these new members here at Hillcrest, for what you're doing in their life, for the gifts and the, the resource and all the, the joy you've placed in them that they get to share with us and we get to share with them. Thank you for drawing them into uh, this community and Lord, might you bless them today. Might they know that, that you are with them, that you love them, that you have called them by name. And Father, we are encouraged to see them take this step. It encourages all of us as part of this church community to know that there are people that believe that you're at work in this place and through our lives. So Father, might we all be encouraged 
and how you are moving in this place and in our lives. Lord, might the light of this community shine out into the neighborhood around us. Might you continue to to draw new people into this new life that you have placed in us. And we will lift our worship to you as we see it happening. Glory to you, Father God. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome these new members? Let's say great job.